This is Deion Dawkins, man, and you're listening to The Scoop on OwlScoop.com. You already know. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Scoop, OwlScoop.com's podcast, Season 8, Episode 11. I'm John DiCarlo. Joined by Caden Steele, Javon Edmonds is going to be with us in a few minutes. Kyle Gauss taking a uh, taking a hiatus from the scoop for a week. You know what we're going to do? We're just going to start the rumor that he is not on the scoop this week because he's upset because his Atlanta Braves lost to the Philadelphia Phillies. They're down one game to none in this NLDS series, game two. And I promise this is not a baseball podcast. We've established that. But – Game two, push back now uh, due to rain, right, Caden? Like 7.30 first pitch, something in that range? Yeah, 7.30. So I think, you know, Kyle's just too nervous, you know, to hop on the pod because, you know, he he knows in the back of his head that the Phillies are going to pull out, you know, 2-0 tonight. Uh, he just can't stand to face us right now. But he's going to sit <laughs> on his couch and, you know, hope and pray that the Braves end up pulling off a win. But, yeah, know, it's not going to happen, Kyle. So. <laughs> so maybe Kyle will be back. Next week, who knows what this baseball landscape is going to look like uh, by this time next week. But we do have uh, some basketball to talk with you guys today. Today was uh, conference media day. And then, of course, Temple, after being on its bye week for football, the Owls are two and three. They're going to be playing at UCF Thursday night. So depending on when you are listening to this podcast, that could be tonight uh, is in Thursday night. The four and one UCF Knights down in Orlando for the space game. We got some uh, got some mailbag questions too. Caden, famous number elevens. What what stands out to you? Got uh, two Eagles quarterbacks. We'll start with the old fashioned 1960. First time I ever watching the Eagles. Uh, you know, you know videos or documentaries. Norm Van Brocklin, the quarterback, okay. pulling out, pulling Impressive. out the far one. Flip it back, you know, almost, you know, I guess six, six years later, uh, Carson Wentz, you know, did it in the way that I expected, you know, things to go for Carson Wentz in Philadelphia. I think a lot of us, maybe even you included, thought the Eagles in 2017 had a franchise quarterback for yeah. 10 to 15 years. And then Turned they did two more seasons of Carson Wentz before everything came, you know, and fell apart. Uh, I guess another player, uh, Mr. Consistent from Pittsburgh and put the Cardinals, Larry Fitzgerald. Is a guy that comes to mind, had a you know incredible career, also broke my heart in that 2008 NFC championship game where yeah. he had some big time catches on that final drive that led Arizona win. So wait, how old, how old were you in that 2008 game? How old was how old was Caden Steele at that point? I was eight years old, but I can remember that being like the first moment I felt heartbroken as an Eagles fan. I remember the Eagles being down in that game climbing back Donovan McNabb putting it together a heck of a second half and then at the end there the Cardinals drove left no time left on the clock I think it was a fourth down play I remember as a kid and they were throwing it to Kevin Curtis some people were upset thought it was a pass interference call they didn't get called but I remember being that the first moment like I vividly had like emotions tied to the Eagles and I was not <laughs> happy at all I was yeah. like most pissed eight-year-old kid yeah well Number Javon's 11 joined us. No, famous number 11s, Javon. We have established that it's just going to be the three of us today. Kyle, we're, we are fueling the narrative that Kyle is not with us today because he's upset about 
his Atlanta Braves, and uh, that's that's why he's not with us. So we'll go with that. Even though that that first pitch for Game Two tonight has been pushed back to around seven thirty. But like we've said, it's not a baseball podcast. This is a Temple Sports basketball and football centric podcast. But you know, we'll we'll keep uh, playfully talking a little bit of smack on, on Kyle. We love him, but he's not with us this week. Yeah, famous number elevens. Caden started off with Norm Van Brocklin going uh, going old school. What, what do you got for for 11s? He did talk. And he, and he mentioned Larry Fitzgerald just as you were logging in here. But there, I mean, there are some others, and and Carson Wentz, who, if you're an Eagles fan, you're so glad that he's no longer an Eagle. What else, Javon? I I I got uh, modern day Kyrie Irving. Mm-hmm. I've got Dante Culpepper. Mm. I've got I've got Carl Malone with the Lakers and the United States national team. Um. I got Alex Smith, former number one pick in 2005. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 I know I'm missing somebody. I'm missing somebody. I really do think I'm missing somebody that's major right now. Uh, Those are the best I have for you at the moment. God, I'm trying to think if there's if there's anybody else here who would be like a major. Like, there might be somebody in baseball. If you want to go soccer, Neymar, who's one of the best players in the world. Neymar, there you go. Caden, isn't there a, isn't there a, a fairly famous Phillies shortstop who won number 11? Oh, oh, I knew I was missing somebody. Jimmy Rollins. You, you uh, know what's funny, John? I'm sitting here thinking to myself, baseball shortstop that wore number 11. And I couldn't get Robert Andino from the Orioles out of my head. Ha. Huh. Good AJ Brown currently. Yep. There's Bar- Barry Larkin. Barry Larkin. I- I'm looking at. I'm, I'm cheating. I'm looking at, at a list online, and I'm seeing a couple of. of I'm seeing a, f- a couple of former guys who were number eleven who who went on to have um, sons who play college basketball. Vernon Maxwell's son was a recruit. Shane Larkin, son of Barry Larkin, played college basketball, of course. Shane Larkin was a bucket down at Miami. I really thought he was going to make it as a as a good backup point guard for the Celtics, but you know the league was afraid of him being six feet flat. Who was Tom Brady's predecessor? Oh, Bledsoe. Yep, Sebastian Janikowski. There's some there's some good ones. Some good ones. See that? Um, (laughs) Blaine Gabbert was a number eleven. Yeah. Julian Edelman once a once a, a quarterback at Kent State. So look at some uh Walt I, I've Frieder. got I've got uh, some trauma from Julian Edelman. You do. Yeah. You do. Anyway, basketball media day, guys. I was not able to be there on the Zoom calls. You guys were, like I said to uh I was saying to Caden before we started recording, you, you cover a beat, you get used to covering a beat. Media days kind of just are what they are, right? You get a just a whole collection of questions. Some of them are good. Some of them are not. Some of them are hokey. Sometimes you get good nuggets of information out of it. If you are, uh, if you subscribe to Al Scoop, if you read our content, Caden's story is out there. Right now on the front page, uh, Temple was picked fifth in the preseason poll. Kind of, again, the teams coaches players will say the polls are meaningless it's higher than where they were 
predicted to finish last year. This is a, this is a preseason coaches poll. So Deppel was predicted to finish fifth. The teams ahead of them uh, were uh, Houston, Memphis, Cincinnati, and Tulane. But whether it was the poll, whether it was any of the sound bites, any anything noteworthy or newsworthy stand out to you guys today, whether it was from the men's side or whether it was uh, anything from Diane Richardson and the women's team? Uh, I think, let's see, with the women's team, um, number one, I'm glad, uh, you know, a firm reminder was put out there today that Baltimore, D.C. and their respective suburbs are different entities. I knew you were going to um, <laughs> um, but but also, uh, I think Aaliyah Nelson, who I had forgot started off at Cincinnati, like she's just got a lot of ties to Temple, played for the conference rival, then played at Towson under Coach Rich, now comes up to Temple with Coach Rich. The fact that the coaches put Temple at seventh when we've got to understand, Diane Richardson took over that team with only six players on the active roster. That team has six transfers and a freshman, um, a true freshman coming in. And four of the transfers are from Towson. The fact that the coaches put Temple seventh is a very good compliment, if we're being frank. Um, yeah, and also respect says, to her. Yeah, and that also says what they think about, number one, her coaching. Number two, what those Towson players – like that says they think those Towson players who've been playing in the CAA are going to be able to make the leap to an American athletic conference that, um, as, as, as the kids say, ain't sweet when it comes to women's basketball. Is that what the kids are saying today? Yeah. Um, like, you got South Florida, Central Florida, Tulane, and Houston, who always are very competitive teams in women's basketball and tournament contenders. And for the coaches to think they'll be able to move right up from Towson to compete in this conference, is, that's high praise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are good. Those are interesting points. I mean, uh, Mike Oresco talked about Mike Oresco is always willing to talk, always willing to give long uh, opening statements. He talked a little bit about what potential NCAA tournament expansion would mean. Aaron McKee talked, uh, Caleb Battle talked, Damian Dunn spoke, Caden, anything that jumped out. Again, we, we know we know this team is expected to be pretty good. We know that we can reasonably say that this is – the best roster that Aaron McKee has heading into his fourth season. Any tangible nuggets that they came out of today in, in your eyes? I feel like for me, it's the the continued hype of, you know, Zach Hicks and Heiser Miller, the two players who I feel Temple is going to need to take that next level jump to, you know, reach their full time, you know, the full ceiling that they have as a program. And I think, you know, Aaron McKee mentioning him, mentioning them, you know, during, you know, his availability, calling them cornerstones, you know, future cornerstones of the program, talking about how they had significant minutes last year and they got a lot of meaningful minutes and, you know, how they had good summers and their bodies got stronger and how the game's slowing down for them. Having those two guys, you know, take their games to the next level. We saw Zach Hicks and what he can do last year, especially when he dropped 37 points against Delaware State. Having Heisier Miller, you know, fill that point guard role is going to be pivotal for this team. So, you know, they lost Jeremiah Williams, who, you know, was a great defender here at Temple, and they needed, you know, need to replace that role. So having him, you know, step up and becoming that cornerstone, you know, esque player for the team, I think it's going to be so important. And I think that, you know, that hype around the second year guys of Julia White, Zach Hicks, and Heisman Miller really is going to be, you know, what kind of makes or breaks this team, I think. Yeah. So again, if you're a Temple basketball fan, you, you're probably well versed with the schedule by now, if you're not, just in case 
The Owls do open the season November 7th, Monday night at the Leacore Center against Wagner. And then, of course, four days later, the big game, probably the biggest game on the on the schedule early on, maybe the whole year, is that early Big Five game against Villanova Friday night, November 11th at 7 p.m. at the Leacore Center. That game's going to be on ESPNU. If you're a Temple fan, probably in your best interest to be at the game and get a ticket to the game. And then the, the schedule's kind of off and running from there. We've talked about the fact that they have so many early season opportunities to bolster their resume or what would what they would hope to be an NCAA tournament resume. So the season is getting closer and closer. We'll have a ton of preview content for you as the season, as the season grows closer, we'll have more basketball content. Of course, we want to talk a lot of football as well. The Owls, as we said, are, are coming off a bye week. They're two and three. They've got a really tough game on the road. Against UCF, they are 23-and-a-half-point underdogs as of Wednesday evening when we're recording this game. UCF is 4-1. and one. They're coming off a, a pretty impressive 41-19 win over SMU last Wednesday. So it's that point in the season where the scheduling can get a little weird. Of course, Temple's going to play a Thursday night road game against UCF, and then they come back and they play a Friday night home game against Tulsa. But before we get to Tulsa, this is a really, really tough game for the Owls. UCF is, is looking, again, we've, we've talked about the fact that this is a conference that could potentially be a little wide open, and, and UCF could be one of the best, if not the, you know, one of the best teams in, in the conference, along with, along with Cincy, along with Houston. John Reese Plumley, probably one of the more intriguing players that Temple's going to have to defend. We talked about Seth Hennigan a couple of weeks ago. A good quarterback, but a pocket quarterback that they made look very pedestrian. We've talked about how the how well the defense played in that game. The offense just couldn't couldn't keep up. So John Reese Plumley, interesting story there. He's an old miss transfer. He's a former wide receiver. Uh, he completed 20 of his 29 passes for 316 yards, two touchdowns in the in the SMU win. He's thrown for 1143 yards, seven touchdowns, three picks. And when he was at Ole Miss, he was recruited there as a dual threat quarterback, and he had some he had some good offers, some really good offers. And then the emergence of Matt Corral, who's now um you know sitting out for the year with the Carolina Panthers, who recently fired Matt Rule. We got a, a, a mailbag question about that later on in the pod. So Matt Corral's emergence bumped him to receiver, and now he's back at the position that he was recruited to play. He's also run for 431 yards and four touchdowns. He may be really like the biggest test to date. For DJ Elliott in this defense, he's a, a true, true, a really, excuse me, a true dual threat guy who can play. They've got a couple of wide outs with more than, you know, 20 catches, Javon Barker and Ryan O'Keefe, two touchdowns apiece. Uh, defensively, they're multiple. They've got some guys that are, are that can really pressure the quarterback. Tremon Morris Brash is their best player on defense or their best edge rusher, I guess we should say three sacks, um, six and a half tackles for a loss. Uh, so he's going to be a challenge. Temple's third in the nation in, in third down conversion percentage on defense, which is obviously a good, good stat to take with you on the road, but UCF isn't that far behind them. They're seventh in the country in that statistical category. Opposing teams are just 19 of 72 on third down against UCF this season, and that's not looking good for Temple heading on the road, considering they went two of 16 on third down at Memphis two Saturdays ago. Again, they're a 23 and a half point underdog in this game. I'll ask, just kind of get right to the point. You know, is there any reason to believe Temple could could have fixed enough 
during the bye week to turn things around to to win this game? And if you feel like they have a chance, what do they have to do to 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 win this game? Um, unless I missed something, I don't remember Temple adding some four-star offensive linemen from the transfer portal in the past 12 days. <laughs> we'll um, get to the line in a second. But so, I agree. Yeah. Like, you know, until that happens, I've got nothing for you. Offense can't get going. Literally nothing can go on that off on the offense until the offensive line mm-hmm. gets repaired. Like, will Temple get beat 49 to 7 like they did October 30th of last year? No. Are they still going to be a bad offense in this game? Yes. Are they still going to lose to a UCF team that is better than it was last year and currently ranked second in the American in both scoring offense and scoring defense? Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm kind of on board with Javon where, you know, last year's 49 to 7. The roster, you know, added some transfers, you know, through the portal. Guys like, you know, Jacob Hollins and a Adonica Sanders, and you, you know, you did that and you added a new recruiting class, but I don't think the personnel in the roster compared to, you know, last season is far too much different in the sense. I think the decent, the defense is playing, you know, you know, way better than, you know, I expected before the year with DJ Elliott, and you got to give him a lot of credit. But, you know, the way we've watched this offense play against Memphis, giving up 24 points in that second half was because that defense is tired of playing after consistent three and outs and bad offensive performances where, like UCF, like you know, Javon mentioned, they look stronger than they did last year. Their offense is better than Memphis. The defense is better than Memphis. So I can't see any way where you know Temple is able to pull this out and improve enough over the bye week to fix you know a lot of the lapses that they have. And I think a lot of the issues maybe it, it could be coaching. I'm not in the locker room, but I think a lot of it has to do with just a lack of talent on the roster. And I don't think yeah. you can fix that within you know one week. Yeah, I think we're, and again, I'm not breaking any news here. When we look at the fact that they are rebuilding, which is what they are, a, a lot of it just does start with the interior of that offensive line and and the backs. If, if you look at that offensive line, Adam Klein's listed on the team's depth chart at being back at center. Uh, but, Caden, you have a, a couple of sources. We have a couple of sources telling us that that James Famine, who is is probably unlikely to play this week, and, and if that's the case, uh, unless they have somebody that – they feel really good about at right tackle. I would think that that means Adam Klein will bounce back out to right tackle and Rich Rodriguez will start at center. We'll see. I asked Stan Drayton if, if Adam's going to play center, I asked Adam himself, neither one of them. I get it. They don't want to give away any competitive advantages. I would have to think if James family is not playing, you're going to see Adam Klein back at, at, at right tackle and provided nothing's happened with Rich Rodriguez He'll probably be back at center. I, I don't I don't know how much that affects things really either way. I think I think it would be a big step forward if they can start to run the ball a little bit, even if they don't win. And this sounds like moral victory stuff that the fans won't like to hear. But if you start to see a little bit of more, a little bit more space for guys like Ed C D, Darvon Hubbard. I did try to talk to Darvon Hubbard. I was talked, this is not a Rich Berg thing. I think this is a coach's thing. Darvon Hubbard is not being made available to reporters. I think the coach has been a little bit more stringent about offensive players talking than defensive players. That's unfortunate, but what can you do? Uh, so I did, I, I wanted to talk more about and get you guys more information on, you know, what, what goes into offensive line improvement? What can they do? How much of the run game is attributed to them? How much of it is attributed to the backs? Uh, I, I talked to Adam Klein 
Monday after Monday's practice about what changes if he's playing center versus, you know, playing right tackle and asked him flat out, where are we playing? Like I said, he, he, you know, was kind of, you know, just said, I can't really say, but uh, here's what Adam said when I asked him about what changes versus, you know, bouncing back and forth between playing center and, and playing right tackle. I mean, I think whatever whatever five are out there, you know, it just, you know, it takes some time just to, I think this bye week has helped, you know, getting, you know, trying to solidify who that five is. And, you know, I, and there's never really going to be a solidified five because everyone can always play. Right. You know, coach is really big on, you know, having at least seven or eight guys that he can, he can 100% trust out there that he can put out there at any time, you know, maybe give someone a blow if they need it or anything like that. Um, but I think, yeah, I think this bye week's been good just to get a lot of guys that works at a lot of, uh, a lot of positions just to, you know, see where, you know, what our best five is who our best five is um you know like coach Weez always says like you know it's five stakes on the table so like this was i think this is a big week just to you know prove who who should be out there where they should be at and like i said like it doesn't really matter where if i'm playing at center or tackle like obviously there's going to be different techniques you're going to be playing different type of body types out there if you're playing tackle it's going to be someone that's really fast and athletic if you're playing d tackle it's probably going to be someone strong uh, and also athletic so um it doesn't really matter for me you know i'm excited to play either one uh so whatever really coach Weez needs me to do i'll just do and then I also talked to Isaac Moore. So again, if you're a Temple fan, you know this by now. You have two veterans at the tackle positions, two fifth-year guys, and Adam Klein at right tackle, Isaac Moore at left tackle. Talked to Isaac, again, about a bunch of things, mainly what it's going to take to run the ball better, what it's like to play through di these different offensive line combinations. Again, I think the one thing that we've seen is that they've tried different combinations. They've tried – different guards, different tackles, but then what Chris Weezahan will typically do is stick with those same five guys during the game when he's not really subbing out. But I asked Isaac more about that. Uh, I asked him about, again, some of the same things I talked to Adam about. Uh, what's, what's it going to take to just run the ball better, sustain drives, especially in a game like this where you've got to do it on the road? And here's what Isaac Moore said. Well, to, for an offense to work, you have to all be on the same page. So if let's say you have to be a fist so if one if you if one person doesn't do their job you won't be able to throw a punch without dislocating a finger so to fully be able to have a decent run game everybody has to work as one unit in sync and then the back has to know who the unblocked player is and then we have to do our job and block all the 10 others how much is that uh, something you guys worked on a lot this week? Yeah, we worked. Uh, we just got back to our basics. We just footwork, technique, where our rules, if we're uncovered or covered, if it's a double team or if you're locked. We just got back to the basics, really. So I also asked one more clip we want to play for you guys before uh, we get to the, the mailbag here uh, to close things out. I also asked Isaac about what he's seen from A.J. Warner. Again, Javon has astutely pointed out that in these last few weeks, his completion percentage has gone down, picks have gone up, and, and these things are starting to wear on E.J. Warner. Again, I we've said several times that he's not afraid to stay in the pocket, go through his progressions, but you can kind of just see – how teams week after week after week are getting more film on him. And it's easier to tee off on that true freshman quarterback when you know that you don't have to worry all that much about the running game. And it's, again, we're not breaking any news when we say that, but I did ask Isaac about what he's seen from EJ. And even though Temple is tied for 10th in the country with just four sacks allowed, uh, Isaac acknowledged that they can do much better there because we know that he's facing a lot of pressure. He is getting hit a lot. And, and here's what Isaac said specifically about that stat and about what he's seen from EJ Warner. I think EJ's 
I think he's like one of the greatest kids I've ever seen. Like, uh, if you come back here in seven hours and the sun's down and all everybody's home, he's still going to be here watching film. Like, I've yet to see anybody be live at EO as much as he does. So that's a great. And for the sacks, I feel like we got to play a lot better in past game. Like, even though the number is fairly low, we can play a lot better mm -hmm. and give him a lot of time because we, we give a lot of quarterback hits. And, like, for a freshman kid, it, like, it stresses him. So mm -hmm. I would, I, we have worked really hard this week to really focus on picking up everything so he's calm in that pocket. How did you see him conduct himself when he came in? Because I'm sure he's, um, there's got to be a benefit of growing up as Kurt Warner's kid, and there's probably like a downside to it too where people maybe judge him and say, okay, are you as good as your dad? Do you think you're entitled? He doesn't, I don't really know him, but it seems like he stays pretty calm and pretty even keeled and doesn't really carry himself like he's anyone special. Yeah, I would say, I would say I didn't, to be honest with you, I didn't know that he was EJ Warner until like, a week or two in, like I didn't right. know. I just thought he was a regular quarterback, mm -hmm. and then somebody told me that, like his the history of his family and stuff. Uh -huh. And I thought, I mean, he hasn't, like he hasn't gone like the, the celebrity route at all. Like uh -huh. he just, he talks, he makes jokes. He's a uh -huh. fun guy. Like he, he's just focused, really focused on football, and he really wants to win. All right, a, a reminder that you can listen to both of those interviews in full if you're an Al Scoop subscriber. Uh, by the time you're listening to this, you will most likely be able to see uh, Max Dinenberg's preview of the game. Our friend Nick Menta will be down there on or in Orlando covering the game for AlScoop.com, bringing you guys coverage. So we'll have post-game audio, the game story as well. So stay tuned for that. Predictions, guys, before we get to the mailbag. <sighs> Uh, oh, no. Oh, actually, no. I'm not going first on this one because Caden has a wild prediction. He does? I don't remember my prediction, but... No, no, no. Don't catch cold feet now, Caden. What's the wild prediction? Tell people what you had as your number in the news from earlier. I thought in the back of my head that this game was not going to be close. I was kind of debating 35-7, 41-7. I think this is the first game where Temple gets, you know stop per se. I don't think it's going to be close at all. I think the offense, we've seen EJ Warner in, you know, back-to-back -back weeks. Last week, he, was it through three interceptions or two weeks ago, I guess, almost now, he threw three interceptions against Memphis. He's thrown six total in the year. They're struggling to protect EJ Warner. He's starting to look, you know, like what he is. He's a true freshman quarterback. He's struggling. They're averaging 2.7 yards per carry. They can't pass protect. Adonicus Hanner, Jose Barboon are nice players, but they're not going to take over a game, anything offensively to really change things. And then defensively, I think this defense is, you know, they're starting to, they're going to start playing better offenses where they're going to get worn out, especially, you know, John, like you mentioned, UCF's quarterback is a dual threat talent. And I think they're just too much, you know, talent and too much experience on this UCF team to make it anywhere close. So I'm going to roll with 35, seven, I'm going to be a little more conservative, but I think this game uh, I think there's a 23-and-a-half, you know, line, and I think, you know, UCF's going to end up getting more than that line. I just want the loyal listeners of OwlScoop.com that I care about so much and that support me so much to know that Caden Steele for the past 48 hours has been saying 41-7, to 7, even <laughs> up to, like, 90 minutes ago from when we've recorded this. Um, I won't be that harsh. I will say... I don't see Temple scoring more than seven. I don't know if Temple gives up 35. I'll go 33 to seven. 
Feeling a 38, feeling a 38, 10 game. Let me ask you guys this before we get to the mailbag and Caden, I'm not sure if you can stick around. If you got to, if you got to dip out the class, what do you guys know about UCF and the space game or the origins of it? Like why they have a space game. I literally did not know this until I think like last year. Caden's got a dip going to class. You will not hear Caden Steele talking about the space game. It's a shame because Caden has a vast knowledge of NASA, galaxy, solar systems. He wanted to be an astronaut at some point. Isn't that true? 100% true, but, you know, I'll let Javon <laughs> handle this conversation. <laughs> All right, buddy. I'll see you. Um, no, John, you know what? I enjoyed today's edition of the Carlos Campfire series so much. I want a second part inform me on what the UCF space game it is that they have a space game because the, the the university has origins of like directly being tied to supporting the space program in the 60s so they have this they've they've called themselves space U Penn State's linebacker U I guess UCF is is, is space U people kind Penn of see it linebacker like, U yeah well, they used to call them? themselves that I don't know if it's been like a, a recent thing yeah it, like in the 80s 90s you know uh but nonetheless space game so i, I do think you know and getting back to, to football i think this is this is going to be a well-attended game for them i'm not saying that their fan base is is energized with by by temple coming to town and again i'm not trying to just take digs at temple we know what they are they're a rebuilding team they're a rebuilding program right now but this might be this might be the loudest crowd they've they've faced so far they did i would imagine that they didn't have to go to a lot of like silent count stuff at memphis a couple weeks ago the liberty bowl was not anywhere near full for that game but uh yeah they're going to be playing in the space game nationally televised game again i i think you have to look at some outcomes here can they run the ball better honestly if you literally see a couple of positive runs from ed sadie darvon hubbard trey blair jakari norwood whoever's popping them off even if they come in the third quarter or the fourth quarter, I think this line just needs to start to be able to move people, even if they don't win. I think you're looking for positive plays to put on tape and you say, okay, maybe it wasn't as bad as it was last year. But again, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling like a, a 38-10 game here. UCF's been pretty impressive. We've been known to be wrong, but this would be a pretty significant upset. This isn't one of those national pregame shows where when everybody picks the same team, that team loses. We, we, we kind of don't do that around here. Yeah. I think UCF has a real chance to compete with Cincinnati mm -hmm. in the conference championship down the line, too. Like, the only reason I wouldn't pick them to win that game is I don't know if Plumlee can play a full full quarters against Cincinnati. Um, yeah. But that team is dangerous this year. Gus yeah, Malzahn, I love what he's done with that program. Yeah, and Plumlee's a, he's an interesting story. Like I said, I mean, like you have – there are so many – I'm not saying that John Reese Plumlee is, is destined to be, you know, a future pro or anything like that, but you have all these, these stories about why guys ended up at certain places. Like your boy Joe Flacco ended up, ended up at Delaware because he, he was behind Tyler Palco Pitt, goes to Delaware, has a great career there. Ends up going to the your Baltimore Ravens winning you Super Bowl MVP. I know, you're not, I know you're not high on the Ravens right now. I get that, but you've had some you've had some glory days with the Ravens. Yeah, again, mm -hmm. and go going back to what we we're talking about before. Plumlee was at Ole Miss and and you know was was in the category of like get me into another position on the field. 
a, a second week in a row where Stan Drayton called called the opposing quarterback the real deal. But he's a pretty good player. He's he's an interesting story. Again, he's gonna he's gonna be an interesting challenge. I mean, I think that's another thing the Temple could hang its hat on in this game. If you don't win, again, I know fans probably hate hearing this, but we're just trying to be realistic. Where this is not a podcast where we're gonna try to sell you a bunch of false crap. They're probably gonna we're not the Temple PR Association. Yeah. So, but if, if DJ Elliott's group comes out of this and they can hit him a little bit, make life more difficult for him, I think that's another another sign of growth. I mean, Seth had again pretty good college quarterback and they and they pressured him and they pitched a shutout in the first half. Like Caden said, they eventually got worn down. When your offense isn't sustaining drives, they're going two of 16 on third down, coming up empty, empty on fourth down. There's only so much you can do before you eventually wear down. And they're they're far from a complete defense as well. As, as impressive as they've been, they could benefit with more recruiting, more depth, and more pieces in the future. But if they can make John Reese Plumley look worse than he has in, in recent weeks, then that's a big step forward for them, I would think. To knock out these few mailbag questions here before we close out this week's episode of The Scoop, we'll go to our message boards. Again, these are screen names of alscoop.com subscribers. First one comes from the screen name Esther Boyer. The Leah Course Center is entering its 25th year. Any idea of any celebrations or events planned? Also, it seems like the Leah Course Center is due for some upgrades. Any word on those? Esther Boyer, I have no idea. No idea. I've been fielding questions from people about a bunch of stuff about the Leah Course Center, ticketing, all the stuff. I have no idea. Um, don't know if they're doing anything special for the, for the 25th year. Uh, I could ask Larry Doherty about that. Don't know anything beyond beyond that, you know, other than the, the typical, you know, Hall of Fame celebrations that they'll do, Ring of Honor, stuff like that. But I don't know of anything planned for the 25th year, but we could certainly look into it for you and find out. Next question. Actually, last few questions here, all from dblaze 75 one of our longtime subscribers. A couple of uh, basketball questions here. One, one's directed at Kyle that he had answered directly on the message board. And then one Matt Rule related. So the first D-Blaze 75 mailbag question here, this is pertaining to the basketball team. Early season gut feeling. This year seems like it has all the ingredients for Temple to knock off Villanova. Best Temple team in a while. At home, should be a rowdy sold out. Leah Corps Center. Nova is talented, but young in some areas. And now a big injury early season games should help the owls thoughts on the game. So that, that big injury he's referring to is that of cam Whitmore. Uh, he's a McDonald's all American five-star recruit, big recruit for Jay Wright at the time. Now will be playing for Kyle Neptune. He's out with a thumb injury. He may not be playing against temple. I mean, it, it sounds like maybe mid November for him. Again, I am not covering, not covering the, the the Nova beat. I don't know exactly when he's going to be back, but I think we can safely say that there's a there's a good chance that he's not going to play in that game. But I, I think that's, uh, you know, I don't think that's a, a far off sentiment for fans to have, that, that this, is, this is a good time to be playing Villanova. It's early in the season. And like Kyle said, you're hoping last week – if you get that win on your resume, you're hoping that it's one that gets better and better and better. As Nova gets better, they get used to playing the Kyle, for Kyle Neptune. Again, he was away as Fordham's head coach for a year, not new to the program. But, yeah, I, I think they've got a, a real good shot. Um, thoughts on the game? I think it's winnable. Again, I mean, that's that's a, a very much a, a surface-level 
you know, prediction there, but Javon, I'll turn this one over to you first. I mean, if, if Temple beats Villanova on November 11th, tell me how they're, they're going to do it and why you think they can do it. If they do it, um, it's because Caleb Battle had a repeat of the USC game from last year, mm-hmm. number one. Speaking of Caleb, second team all-conference, Dame Dunn got his first team spot. Mm-hmm. Like, I understand Caleb missed seven games, but him not being first team shocked me. Um, Dame being first team, that, that, that tells me those coaches that he uh, got those buzzer beaters over last season – they haven't forgotten about Damian Dunn. Um, that's always a funny dynamic to see when coaches are like, oh, no, I remember number zero in red, and, uh, you know, just all throughout basketball. But, no, if, if Temple won, it's because Caleb Battle, that second half he had against USC last year, he put together for a full 40 minutes against Villanova. I halfway think um, maybe because this is just how I would be as a committee, as a member of the committee, I kind of think Temple needs Whitmore to play that game for that win to have the value that it needs to have mm-hmm. for a tournament resume. Because the committee does look at who you beat, but they do look at what that team was when you beat them also. If you're like one of those final 12 seeds into the tournament, they look very deeply into your resume. Like, okay, we see who you beat, but who were they at the time that you beat them? And I think Temple would be one of those bottom 12 teams this year. And that would be put under a microscope. Okay. They beat Villanova, but no team is the same on November 11th as it is on March 1st. Um, And then you add into the fact that Whitmore didn't play. That wouldn't be the win, the sweet win that Temple fans would hope it would be. So I think they actually need to root for Whitmore to play. They don't need to root for Whitmore to be 100% healthy but they do need him out on the floor. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, as much as we've been kind of uh, poking a little bit of fun of at the, uh, the Colin Gillespie shiz Alston, that was like an Instagram little back and forth, right? Villanova is not Philadelphia. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's no Colin Gillespie this year and he was a veteran point guard again, not breaking any news there. So where are some of those big shots going to come from? I mean, Villanova's talented every year, whether it's, you know, is this the year that uh, early in the season where a, a recruit like Angelo Brizzy, who was, he was a non-medical redshirt last year, but he's a good player. You know, they've, they've got, they've got some talent on the roster. I just think that they're going to be figuring themselves out early on. I, I think that's an interesting point, Javon, but even if, even if they don't have their full complement of players, I think that's just that could be a huge confidence builder for. Them. But I mean, they've been so overmatched in this game uh, for the most part over the past over the past several years. When when Shiz was last at Temple, they 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 almost got him at, at the Pavilion a few seasons ago. Uh, but they've been overmatched as of late. I, I I I do. I think this is a winnable game again. We'll talk more in depth about this game as it gets closer, but yeah, sure. I, I, my thoughts on the game at this point would be, yes, it's a winnable game. It's an intriguing opportunity for Temple at that juncture of the season. I will add Jamil Reynolds has to be in shape and ready to play mm-hmm. in that game. Not only is Eric Dixon still at Villanova, not we Joker. know what he is. Yeah. Joku's a big guy. Mm-hmm. And he, like he's, I'm going to catch it, brutalize you, put my shoulder in your chest, and put mm-hmm. you in the rim yep. every time I touch the ball. Yep. I love those type of big men. 
Jamil is going to have to be in shape and ready to play that game. Yeah. That's a matchup. Absolutely. And whoever's playing the four, if 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 it's going to be, you know, the Ox, Jalil White down at the four, bang with Eric Dixon, he's going to have to ice up a lot on Sunday. Or maybe it's a Nick Jordan foul trouble game. Whoever's going to be at the four, or, they're going or, to have to. Or an Emmanuel Pomo coming in to commit a couple of fouls type of game. Yeah, but whoever's at the four, whoever's playing the four and the five that game, whew, listen, I want them in the training room first thing Sunday morning because it's going to be physical. <laughs> Ice, yeah. stretching, the massage gun, which I need to buy because those things look so good. Just I want them getting all the treatment they can on Sunday. Saturday is going to be a physical game. Dr. No, Edmund. Friday, excuse me. So be in the treatment room Saturday. Would you like to be known as Dr. Edmonds or Dr. Javon? If I got my PhD, Dr. Edmonds would sound very, very good. You know what? Sounds, sounds polished. Sounds distinguished. Go with Dr. Edmonds. It does. Second question. I'd get, a, I'd get one of those like those pipes that the throwback old men. Uh, this is not the would, first would, time would, you've referenced having a pipe as like a college professor. I like it. Is That's it? Good. I, I, I think it is. I think you talked about at least like thinking about having a pipe or did we talk about a pipe or did we talk about having like the, like the sport coat, like a tweed sport coat with like the elbow pads or something like that. And you having a pipe and you're not really smoking it, but you're like, you, you keep saying people, you're so naive. That's why we're here. Let's talk. <laughs> Holding a pipe. Either have the, the padded elbow um, blazer or have like the, 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 the fuzzy sweater. You do both. You could do both. You could take off. You could be like entrenched in a in a in a like a very passionate lecture, and then you take off, you take off the the sport coat with the elbow pads to reveal the fuzzy sweater. Because let's maybe the heat's not working that day, and you're like, I gotta go to my office down the hall. I gotta outfit myself with both. Boom, you're fully in character. I can see it. Second question from D Blaze seventy five. This was the one where he's uh, trying to antagonize Kyle a little bit. Does Kyle still think the Braves are going to destroy the Phillies? This series, Kyle shot right back at him, answered him on the message board, quoted me directly. I say they beat the Cardinals and then they get absolutely embarrassed by Kyle's Atlanta Braves. John DeCarlo on last week's episode of the Scoop. I did say that. Uh, Kyle said I won't be on this week's episode of the Scoop, but yes, I still think the Braves win this series. So uh, there's your answer, D Blaze 75. Well, hey, we'll see what happens tonight. I didn't think. I thought it was a huge step for them to get a win with Ranger Suarez on the mound and the committee that they put together to hold on for dear life last night. But, um, Hey, there we go. Another, another another dose of, uh, another dose of baseball on this podcast. Uh, final question also from D blaze 75 to close out the podcast this week. Where do you think Matt rule coaches next? I think that if you're asking me today on Wednesday, October 12th. I think we won't know where Matt Rule coaches next until next year. I wouldn't be totally surprised if he takes the rest of this year off. You have to remember that money's not a factor for Matt. You know, he's got potentially $40 million coming to him now. Obviously, the, the Panthers could be not on the hook for a lot of that or most of it, if depending on where Matt ends up next. But Matt has always been judicious about where he's wanted to go. I mean, he consults with his family. He thinks about where he wants to live, the community he wants to be, and the opportunity, the fit. I could see him, again, I'm not, I don't want to put words in his mouth here. I know him. I still stay in touch with him. I can't say I've had 
deep conversations with him about this. I think he just has to sit back and, and see what comes in through his agent. But is the Nebraska, is a Nebraska opening worth it? Is, is the Arizona State opening worth it? Can you recruit to these places? Yeah, you can recruit to these places. But are any of the openings worth it? Does he see himself being back in the Big Ten at Wisconsin if the opportunity opens up there? I, I would not be totally surprised if he takes the rest of the year off bounces around, consults with people, looks at, hey, what were some of my blind spots in the NFL? Where, you know, where is there a good NIL collective at these places? Can I recruit there? I think we'll know more about where he coaches next, next season. I don't know that that answer comes in the next few months. I could be wrong, but that's my gut feel. Javon, what do you think? You clearly know Matt, and I clearly don't. I would say if I were in his shoes, only way I coach in 2023 is either at Nebraska or Wisconsin. But I need to see how the rest of this year plays out. I need to see what their board of regents looks like. I need to get a good feel of who their athletic director is. Yeah. I need a good feel of who their boosters are, how supportive they are. I need a feel of how kids are feeling about those programs. I have to really do my research. Yeah. And the only way I coach in 2023 is with Nebraska or Wisconsin. The new wave of things, coaches who just got let go, take the rest of the season off, be with your family, enjoy family time, reset, get happy. Some of the hair starts to grow back. Some of the gray <laughs> hair start to turn back to black. Um, mm -hmm. Take a little coaching tour. Visit some friends, some coaching friends in some different places. Yep. Beg, borrow, and steal from them and add it to your philosophy and come back as a better man and a better coach a year down the line. So if I'm Matt, the only way I'm considering coming back in 23 is if Nebraska and Wisconsin just look great to me. Mm -hmm. Outside of that, I take a year off, and then I just look back and I say, okay, who could be out of a job soon, and would mm -hmm. that job entice me? Uh, maybe Auburn? Mm -hmm. No, because they just replaced Gus. So I don't think Auburn will be in that position anytime soon. Like, the SEC seems filled at the moment, unless A&M sacks Jimbo Fisher sometime soon, right? I don't see Ole Miss getting rid of Lane Kiffin. I look in the Pac-12, I'm not touching Arizona State with a 50-yard pole. Um, <laughs> I can't think of any school in the Pac-12 right now that I'm on. I mean, like, the Pac-12 is about to dissimilate. At this point, like if that, I don't even think that's a word. Disintegrate. There we go. Um, like the Pac-12 is pretty much finished as a conference. Once the Southern California schools leave, that's it. Oregon's the only thing left. Utah, eh, maybe. Washington, I don't think they get rid of their coach anytime soon. The Big Ten seems shored up. So I mean, there's no rush, and he's getting paid from Carolina. They owe him that forty-two million dollars the last time I checked. So relax just sit back relax wait for something to open up yeah no you're right i mean there are a few things that exist now that did not exist when matt rule was was coaching at temple and then at baylor and that's the the transfer portal name image and likeness and you know that, that those are yeah i i do i think that do i think that i i wouldn't rule out if if matt goes back into college and kills it for another four or five years could i see him dabbling in the NFL again, perhaps, but you know, there, there are pluses and minuses to 
both, you know, both sides of it. If you're in, in the NFL, you're not recruiting, you don't have to recruit, but you got to have a good, a good owner, a good GM. You got to walk into a good situation with a good quarterback. And, and he did not, obviously I'm sure he's grateful for the opportunity to have coached in the NFL, but again, he never had that quarterback, you know, Sam Darnold was never that bridge guy to, to the next guy. And that, that was a big piece of why things didn't work out. It's not the only reason why things didn't work out, but you know, and going back into college, he can recruit, he can manage the roster. But like you said, Javon, I think all those are salient points. You want to look at the leadership, the trustees, the board of regents, whatever it might be at that at that institution. How committed are they to football? Do they have an NIL collectives in place to keep keep those rosters in place? And what's the appetite of football like at that place in terms of like, have they had a lot of guys going in and out of the portal? Those are things that that he didn't have to deal with at, at Temple and he didn't have to deal with at Baylor. So I, again, we're not sitting here saying that we know definitively that that's what Matt's going to do. Um, knowing him the way I do, I wouldn't be totally surprised if he takes the year off. But, yeah, we shall see. I have two schools for him to look out for in yeah. 2024. Now, so, Matt, Dr. if you're Edmonds, listening. Dr. Edmonds, the, now he is. you are a consultant. You're a higher ed consultant. You're a search firm. I like it. Yeah. Um, if Holgerson has another iffy year at Houston – Maybe that opens up, especially with them being in the Big 12 now. Maybe. maybe. That's a very small maybe. Yeah. And Iowa, if that offense continues to score less than 20 points a game this year mm-hmm. and next year, because that's a team that's supposed to be winning the Big 10 West every season, mm-hmm. and they always come up short. Mm-hmm. If any of those two programs see a need to change, you know, um, coaches – it won't happen until the winter of 23, spring of 24, mm-hmm. which would be the time that Matt might consider getting back to it. Mm-hmm. Those are two programs to look out for. Interesting. We shall see. Anyway, good stuff. Thank you, Javon. Thank you, Caden. Thank you uh, for those of you who are continuing to listen to The Scoop every week. Uh, our, our listener numbers continue to go up. We very much appreciate that from you guys. And again, it, just in case you are listening for the first time and you have not yet subscribed to The Scoop, we are available on any of the major podcast platforms. Drop us a rating. The more ratings we get, the more visibility we get on those platforms. And again, we've got a ton of coverage coming your way, including Nick's game story uh, at UCF. We'll have more football coverage in the, in the coming days, more basketball coverage in the coming days. And I hope you guys are all doing well, staying safe, staying happy and healthy. We will talk to you soon.